Hello and welcome to episode three of Talking Social Talent with me, your host, Ben Satchwell. And for those of you who are new, this is a 10-part series uh, where we talk everything Total Talent Acquisition. Um, we're looking at the strategies, best practices that we can find, and we're going into industry and finding out the uh, opinions, insights, and valued information from your industry peers. This week, I'm very fortunate to have with me Pip Graham Sherwin. Pip is the uh, talent manager for an organisation called New Horizons Enterprises, who operate in the health sector here in Australia. She's got some great insights. She's worked both internal and external with recruitment, extensive experience, and I think you'll really enjoy um, this extended episode. Okay, sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Total Talent by Live Hire with me, your host, Ben Satchwell. And I am super pleased to be uh, joined this week by Pip Graham Sherwin from New Horizon Enterprises. Pip, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. No, it's fantastic to have you. Um, great stuff. So as ever, we'll get stuck straight in. Pip, why don't we start with you telling us a bit about your background? Absolutely. So uh, I think probably like most recruiters, I fell into recruitment. Um, I don't think anybody uh, has that in their career plan uh, leaving school. Um, so uh, very briefly, I started off working for a very small independent uh, agency um, called Big Jobs. Um, the reason called Big Jobs was because they were a driving industrial agency and the uh, hiring managers used to call in and say, I've got a really big job on can someone help me so that's how I <laughs> fell into recruitment doing industrial recruitment uh, in the early days before there were computers before there were job boards where you put an advert in your window or in the newspaper and you waited for that fax machine or the postman to deliver that resume so uh, working with on my best day over 120 attempts with a pen a piece of paper and a telephone uh, so I think it it stood me in good stead uh, for becoming a, a, a recruiter, really. Um, from there, I moved into um, recruitment with uh, a very large brand in the UK, which was Office Support. Um, and worked my way up and uh, also did catering and industrial as well and then moved to Australia about 16 years ago and uh, fell back into recruitment um, by actually my husband's in recruitment as well by working for his organization because they actually decided to do something a little bit unique in the recruitment industry and hire people that had a skill so working in an industry that were maybe uh, an engineer or someone in the finance industry and train those people up to become recruiters so what that organization did was advertised Austra Australia wide had over two and a half thousand responses and then realized they had nobody to speak to those responses. So I did a very short contract for that organization and really just screened through recruiters. From that, I um, then actually worked with a person within that organization who moved to um, a large insurance firm. And um, what that organization did, um, which was quite 
um, inventive at that time. It was about 10 years ago. They wanted to look at the way recruitment was done and do it differently. So what they wanted to do was do more of that strategic solution to drive that quality of hire. So aligning it with their marketing brand um, so that the employment message and the consumer message align together. Um, very much early days of social media as well. So LinkedIn was, was starting to become something that was quite key. Um, and different social media areas, so Twitter, Facebook, that type of social media, people were looking. So for someone like myself that wasn't a social media person, very mm. informative for me to... Actually, one of the pieces that I did was I, I interviewed all the new hires over the last six months or, or engaged with those, with those employees and found that around 75% of them would actually look for a job on, on Facebook, which was really fascinating for me to, to learn that the old days of putting up an ad and waiting for a response, it was now around actually going to the target audience rather than placing it where you were expecting that audience to go and search for it. So that was really interesting. And then working with an organizational psychologist, we understood what good looked like in that organization. Mm. And uh, one of the things that the organization had been doing, they were constantly hiring for uh, call center staff and felt that all the call center staff were young and dynamic and money motivated. And when myself and the organizational psychologists worked together, we realized that not one of the top performers was young, dynamic or money motivated. Um, and therefore what we'd been advertising was for our lower performers, not our top performers. So working very heavily around redevising that strategy and what we advertise for. Words are very key. People pick up on words. There's definitely female and male wording that people will respond to and so really just completely changing our adverts and where we marketed to try and get those candidates as opposed to being very um, not reactive and waiting for the candidates to search for us so along in that role was very much a EVP assessment so mm. I have a saying, Ben, that an EVP exists whether we like it or not. So every organization does have an EVP. It exists. It's whether it's the EVP that organization wants. And, and for those of you that uh, are not sure what an EVP is, it's an employee value proposition. So, um, you know, an employee value proposition can mean a lot to, a di to different people and it exists whether you want it to exist or not, it is what we offer our employees. So um, it's not just monetary, but it's the environment they work in, mm. it's the additional benefits that they get um, with an EVP. So um, an example I can give you for ourselves, uh, New Horizons, is our EVP is that we are a very great organization around well-being and personal well-being so very key on you know having rostered days off and looking after your own personal well-being we have access to counselors everything is about what our our employees are 
are key to supplying our services. If our employees aren't well looked after, we can't then service our customers. We call our clients customers. We can't service our customers well. And our customers are people that have physical or mental disabilities. And we need to have our employees on the ball and you know, able to, to service those customers well. So EVP is very, very key. It's not just about monetary. We're, we're very tied into um, awards. So it's not a case of we can just pay what we want to pay. We're very award-driven organizations. So there are set pay bands. We as an organization have chosen to pay above award levels. So that is part of our EVP, but it's what else can we provide to support our employees? And as an organization, We've also taken a stance to pay above and beyond what most organizations would pay for someone's training. So we um, we invest very heavily in our employees training, um, be it anything across the board um, for their for their learning and for their health and safety and their well-being. Oh, fantastic. And then uh, this, uh, this is a really great overview. Um, another final scene setting question for me on, on this before we get stuck into the total talent. Uh, let's just uh, get the lay of the land on New Horizons. So um, size of organization, amount of sites, number of employees or that sort of thing. Yeah, so um, the organization is around 1400 staff. Um, and that ranges everything from a casual employee to the CEO. Um, and uh, location wise, we are a New South Wales based only organisation. So our locations go up as far as Tweed Heads um, on the border. We go south to Barrel and then out west to Bathurst. So we have that eastern seaboard remit. Locations wise, we have what we refer to as hubs. So our staff will, will go from a hub, but most of our customers are either in their own homes or in a residential site. So we may own a home where we may have customers living, or we may work with another organization that may own that home and we supply the support workers. So location wise, our staff could be anywhere. They could be visiting a residential home or they could be visiting a customer in their own home. Okay, great, perfect. All right, so let's, let's change gears a bit and we'll get uh, stuck into total talent acquisition. Um, now, let's just start with a really pointy one. Sort of how important to you is, uh, total talent acquisition and um, for the benefits of uh, our viewers when I say total talent I mean every category from perm casual temp gig and so on and including internal mobility yeah, absolutely well and um, to set the scene for my organization we hire anybody so anybody that has a contract and that would include volunteers so my team recruit volunteers students work placements interns right the way through from casuals to part-time, max term contracts, full-time employees, um, up to the CEO. So uh, we do full talent hire in our team. Nothing is outsourced. Um, all, in, all hires come through my team. Um, to give you an overview, last year we did just under 900 hires. 
Um, now that was a mixture of external and internal movement. So all internal movement is done through my team as well. Um, and so I, I believe that a total talent acquisition, certainly from, I believe a non-for-profit aspect is very key. We identify people internally that maybe if they'd ex applied externally might, might not have made the grade, but because we understand that sometimes a resume doesn't give you everything. Our, our workers are very key on what additional can they bring to our organization. We're a values driven organization. So um, one of our very, we talk about hire to retire. Um, we want somebody that comes in as a student and then works their way up through our organization. And it doesn't have to be within the same line. Um, it can be, they can make those linear moves. Um, so for example, um, we've had a previous regional manager who started off as our receptionist in our Hunter region. So she became a receptionist and then she ended up becoming a regional manager with our organization. Um, another example that I can give you is uh, one of my own team members has moved from being a talent um, consultant to actually being a WHS coordinator. Um, they have a very key interest in WHS. Um, and so that we have those linear moves across our organization. So total talent acquisition, I think is really key for an organization like ours, where the people really are key to making a role work. We're not about, uh, there's certain departments where you can almost get a bum on the seat, so to speak. Um, but the vast majority of our departments are very key about that person and that personality and how they fit in to each nuance of our, our what will work as well in our Hunter region is not going to work in our Sydney region. So we have to understand those nuances. So I would say total talent acquisition from our perspective, we, we like to grow our resources from within. Um, and we really like to take people on a journey in our organization. Love that. And so there's, there's, there's so much good in there for, for me to unpack. So I'm going to, I'm going to, Pick a few parts. So, um, okay, so when, when you actually think about total talent acquisition, um, the journey to get to where you are today, where um, it's fairly mature and working working pretty well, how did you get there? So when, when you started on that journey to make sure that you did internal and external and all the roles we discussed, how did you compare what your current state was at the time to your peers in other TA roles across other industries? When I joined the organization, we were actually slow. We, we had just transitioned to an internal talent team. Um, there had been ad hoc recruitment. Most of the um, head office roles had been internally recruited, but out in the field, it had been very much regionally driven. And um, what we found as an organization was, first off, that was taking a lot of time of our staff who weren't recruiters and weren't used to looking for those things that recruiters are looking for. So it, it took a while because as, as with any organization, change can be a little bit scary for some people. And certainly in our organization, we are working with people. So our managers are very, 
very want to make sure that you know we're not just working with a commodity we're not working with a you know a static can of coca-cola or you know a commodity we are working with people and and very vulnerable people so i certainly know that our hiring managers our people on the you know team leaders and uh, regional leads were very concerned that would our team understand what the requirements were and absolutely for us it it is very key that you know, we understand our hiring managers needs, but we relieve that pressure from them um, and that we enable our managers to do what they're good at, which is deal with our customers. So for us, it was very key, but it was also understanding their pain points and understanding where their concerns were and, and alleviating those concerns for those managers and working with each manager individually on what their solution was for us. So it wasn't a one size fits all. We have different strategies for different regions, um, but but it was about gaining the trust of those hiring managers to understand that we are here as facilitators. We are very much, we're not the decision makers, we are facilitators to enable them to do their jobs better. Oh, excellent, excellent. And so just, just going on those pain points that you'd found out as, as you did yeah, understanding the current state. Um, so, I mean, there's every team has limited resources to it. Mm. How did you go about quantifying the, you know, the costs or the benefits of either action or inaction in, in challenging any of those pain points? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's a, it's an ongoing question um, very much around those pain points. Um, you know, it, it can be, hard not to compare yourself to you know other organizations um but where we have to look is that we can't walk away from a job if you you know we're not like an agency if we have a vacancy we have a vacancy um, and we need to do everything that we can to to fill those vacancies um and a lot of that can be where is the where is the best investment spent for us so you know for us is is the right thing to do to be continuously just hitting the market and not providing our hiring managers or is it to be actually working with an agency at this precise time because we're not mature enough to be attracting those right candidates so for me um, as a talent leader it was really about understanding what my where my costs were coming from what was my return on my investment for those costs and what was the best so for us as well if we don't service a customer we don't get paid um, and future state could mean that the more we continue not to service those customers the more we will lose those customers in our marketplace um, NDIA NDIS has made organizations like ours very commercial we don't get the block funding we used to receive we now um, have to vie for our customers um, 
basically we we have to become commercial and almost like salespeople because mm. our customers have choice now, which is great for them with them receiving that disability pension. But if we don't service our customers, we don't receive payment. And at some point that customer will go and find a organization that can service them. So that has ramifications you know continuous it's not just about not filling a job it's about if we don't fill that job we will lose a long-term customer and that customer may then not refer another customer to us so it's those knock-on effects for us and it's not just about losing customers it's about people's mental health and well-being that for us is very key that if we can't find somebody to service that customer who is services servicing that customer and what are the ramifications for for that person with their own disability or mental health mm, yeah excellent excellent mm. and Recently, you and I exchanged a little bit on social media around yeah. the, the future of the talent function. And um, we're, we're doing this recording during COVID-19, during the pandemic. Um, I'd be keen to get your opinion on um, how you foresee the talent function evolving as we come out of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, It's been really interesting times this last year, very interesting times. I mean, as you probably heard, I, I'm in the talent field for over 20 years now. Um, and that has evolved over the last 20 years, as I've sort of touched upon where you used to advertise roles. And now you, you know, people approach you um, before you even have a role and people follow you and, and things like that. I see, I think the pandemic actually, I don't want to sound, this may sound terrible, but I think it's actually been very, very good for organizations to evolve their talent function um, in the respect of we've had to deal with situations where we can't be face to face with our uh, candidates. We can't meet those candidates face to face. We can't pick up on certain cues that we might do at an interview. Um, and so a lot of it has obviously we've all had to do all of our interviews online. Um, with our organization, we used to do a huge amount of group assessments. So that's been really interesting for us to try and figure out a way of how do we interview 30 people on one day that we can't get in a room together. So I believe the way talent is evolving now through this pandemic is that organizations and certainly talent teams are becoming very more open to different ways of exploring a candidate's suitability for an organization, um, be it over a Microsoft Teams, be it over a Zoom, or be it over a teleconference call or some other format, whether it be a social media engagement. I actually think it's opened up so many more new ways of um, actually understanding candidate behavior. And I think that certainly organizations have now got to adapt. I don't think we will go back to as many face-to-face -face interviews. Um, and I think that software has to become more, more of a thing in talent teams. Um, I definitely believe that application software, social media has to be more of a way that we work as talent teams um, to communicate with people, um, be it just communicating for an interview or communicating with our future candidates. I so much um, that echoes the conversations I'm having in market too, where 
I understand exactly the point you're making. It's been a terrible pandemic, but there are gains from, from it for certain talent acquisition functions where um, they were unfortunately put in a position where they had to evolve very quickly. And I've got to say the ones I speak to did a great job. So, um, and to keep those gains is, is good to hear. Okay, good stuff. So um, based on your extensive experience on internal talent functions, are there any lessons you've learned, maybe the hard way, Pip, that you can share in, in building out talent functions? Uh, absolutely. There's always lessons learned. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. I learn lessons every single day. You, uh, you, um, you, I certainly think sometimes, oh, you know, 25 years, 20, 25 years in recruitment. I'm sure I probably know most of things, but um, just takes a, you know, one of my team to make a conversation with me and I go, ah, that's a really good learning for me. So absolutely. I mean, look, I think um, certainly I learned some uh, some learnings from t becoming an internal recruiter to being an agency recruiter. If I have ever have to go back into agency, I think I will be a much stronger agency recruiter. Mm. Um, look, I think for for me, lessons that learn are that internal teams have a huge workload. Um, you know. An example I can give you is that my team, I have a team of two, um, plus myself and an administrator, and we currently have 253 vacancies at the moment. So, wow. um, and that ranges everything from a volunteer to, uh, you know, the, the GM of, of a particular department. Um, lessons learned are that um, candidates are way more adaptable than we believe and are really actually more flexible and one of the things that I, I learned specifically through pandemic was that I felt that a lot of our possible candidates being that they were you know a, a support worker that maybe technology may not be their thing. We have had no problems. In fact, we've been the ones that have had the technology challenges as opposed to the candidates. Everybody's been really accepting. And I think often that we make presumptions and assumptions about candidates and candidates' behaviors. And we need to stop doing that. And we need to ask more questions and we need to open questions and just ask really, are you open to this? form of interviewing is there it sometimes we need people to tell us and us to not make those decisions so I would say my lessons learned are to ask more questions and not be thinking that we know everything in talent that um, we should ask candidates to actually tell us what they think and the other thing that I think I've learned from um uh, from being in the industry and being in different organizations is that I believe that talent and HR are very different functions. I think they work very closely together, but I believe they're very, very different functions. And I think they're becoming more and more separated as we evolve as teams, talent teams. I, I feel that talent should sit very much more aligned with the marketing of an organization than the people and culture not that you know people and culture aren't great but what I often say is that we work with future employees not current employees yes we do internally but our internals are future employees as well we still have to sell to those candidates or those internal employees 
just as much as we have to do with external. And so where I feel that my lessons have been learned over the last few years is to be a less transactional, more proactive, and really work with our marketing team a lot more to understand how we can vibe off each other, because I believe the consumer brand is so key and aligned with the employer brand. Uh, yep, great, great lessons learned there. And um, I follow a lot of what Josh Burson says as mm. well. And um, some of the commentary that he's got, had, had for a, a little while now is around so some of the things that you said there relates to in um, the, the technology that we see as well. So like talent technology that goes into a traditional HRIS versus a mm. whole in one system and things like that, which loads yeah. into sort of what people want today. Okay, great. So um, the next round I've called the loaded question round. Mm. And basically, um, it's just the common reasons that um, myself and, and my colleagues here at Live Hire that we hear from your peers about progressing with um, a total talent acquisition strategy, um, how they get that view, and um, would love your opinion on how you could help them think through this. Mm. So loaded question number one, um, I don't have the time and or resources um, to implement a total talent acquisition strategy or solution. Mm. Mm. Good point. There's never time. Everything in talent is always reactive. I often come into my day and think, right, I can do all of those, but we deal with people. I think it has to be very much thought about what your organization is trying to achieve. So if you only hire five people a year, is it worth doing a total talent acquisition? But it does depend on what those roles are. If they're extremely, um, you know, very niche roles, then yes, maybe it is worth bringing somebody on board. But I believe that you have to look at every individual organization and what are you trying to achieve from implementing a total talent acquisition solution? If it's a small organization, it may not be the right thing to do until you grow a bit bigger. But each, I, I would say that my team are very key on each nuances for each region. So as an agency recruiter, realistically, I got given a job. I did as much as I could as a, as a recruiter to understand, but I didn't work for that organization and I didn't fully understand its values and, and its little nuances, whereas an internal recruiter can and can therefore maybe see things that an external may not see. Um, so I do believe that there are certainly key things to implement time-wise, Yes, but I think it's a lot easier now than it used to be um, with a lot of things like uh, software much easier to implement nowadays um, in organizations. Strategies are a lot simpler to implement um, with organizations. So realistically, what I would say is look at what, what is the end result you're trying to achieve as an organization from a total talent acquisition solution and then figure out is it the right thing for your organization and then work backwards through your project plan around time and resources. I think people think it takes a lot longer. Um, I think it really is about having a good plan in place, but really understanding what is it that you're trying to achieve from the end of end result. Excellent. Good stuff. Okay. Loaded question number two. 
I am concerned about change management. Mm -hmm. Change management. This is very, very key. Um, when I joined the organization three years ago, we had just implemented a new uh, fully encompassing HRIS system. Uh, we were one week in um, and the first piece was the recruitment piece. I was advised as the new talent manager that our organization were very change fatigue, very change fatigue. And so what I chose to do is I spoke to everybody who hired, everybody who was a hiring manager and understand uh, to really gain an understanding of what their concerns were around implementing a new system, what this change will impact them. And what I then did was then went back to all of them and explained to them the areas of change were for them to do their jobs better and for us to do our jobs better. And that, yes, there will be a period of flux where we will have some hits and misses with the systems and understanding. But the long term goal was to actually improve overall performance for them and their customers. Um, and the services that we provided and to produce a better flow for them. So I get change is, is tough for people. In our industry, it's very, we're very change resistant on Canby because at the forefront of everybody's mind is our customer and how will this impact our customer? Will our customer reduce, you know, have less services? Will their services be impacted? So for me, it was very key about explaining to the managers that yes, change can be a bit scary, but it is for overall the best benefit for them and their customers by me relieving more of their time, they get more time to spend with their customers and, and provide better outcomes. So look, I would say I always thought I wasn't change resistant, um, but I think the older I get, I become a little bit change resistant, but really for me it is about understanding what impact will it have on me and what is the overall picture and yes, sometimes I will have to concede a little bit for the bigger picture, um, but I get the change management piece. Absolutely, I get that. But I, but I think overall, it really is just understanding what areas are people concerned about that the change may impact and then answering those questions. Uh, I really like that. And I think it actually um, links back to something you were talking about earlier about... Um, the quantifying the cost benefits of inaction mm. and understanding the pain points. I think that's yeah. where the uh, the change piece comes in as well and around the change fatigue. So that's excellent. Okay, um, so uh, loaded question number three. I'm not sure if it is right for my specific company or and or industry to have a total talent acquisition strategy. Mm. It's an interesting one. It's a very interesting one. Um, touching back on my sort of previous answer around, you know, what is it that you're trying to achieve um, from having a talent acquisition team, talent acquisition strategy? I think Definitely in the industries that I've been in recently, in the non-for-profit industry, I believe it is really key to have an internal talent team to really understand, as I mentioned earlier, the values and those nuances and to also look within an organisation. 
Um, but I still do also believe that there are areas where external can provide a better solution. Um, and, and we have worked as an organization, we did a trial in one specific area of our region that was very heavily dominated with agency usage. But what we actually did was we engaged, one of our issues was rostering. So we operate a 24 seven um, organization. Our clients need to be seen 24 hours, seven days a week. We have some residential homes um, where people have to stay overnight to look after our customers. And so one of the things that uh, we were not doing very well was rostering and putting all of our employees on rostering. And so it, this was resulting in a particular location actually spending a good couple of million dollars a year on agency staff. Wow. So as an organization, we entered a partnership with an agency that my team hired the talent. So we still did the general recruiting for support workers, but then they became um, payrolled by this organization who rostered. So they actually, sorry, they didn't payroll, they rostered and we still paid those employees. So yeah. they took on our whole rostering for that particular location. But then what we then did was if that roster couldn't be filled by one of our own employees, they put one of their agency staff in. So what it, that has resulted in has actually been a much smoother operation. Uh, we've reduced heavily the areas that we were spending agency wise. Um, and with that agreement is if we've had an, inter, uh, an agency person, they've worked with us for a period of time, we've negotiated a buyout fee at that same time. So possibly going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I, think, I think it really is very dependent on the organization. I think if you're bulk filling a hundred roles where you just literally need somebody to turn up and post a letter through somebody's door, that might not be valuable time for an internal talent team and might better be an outsource. Um, but I uh, overall, I think it really is very specific company and industry related um, and role related. We are not averse to looking at options. It's a conversation we are having in our in our organization is do we do look at external options for bulk continuous roles um, would it be better value for for an organization to do that than my team um, so we're not closed off to those ideas we just believe currently that we can do it better internally because of our understanding of our customers and the environment we're in there's a lot of conversations around you know commission the royal commission into aged care we work with very vulnerable people so we have to be very sure that we're bringing the right people on board to our organization. Um, and certainly sometimes if you go external, it's more of a job as opposed to a career um, and what that person might look like. So in answer to your question, I believe it's very, very company industry related. And I think realistically, you've got to look at your return on investment, what you're trying to achieve um, as an organization. Fantastic. I think that's a really strong point to finish on. Is there, is there any closing thoughts that you want to share? 
Yeah, I, I would definitely say I think something um, going back to a lesson learned is very key learning for me is having the right system in place. Um, that's so key for us. Um, we currently as an organization um, have an all encompassing uh, one size fits all. That's great. It doesn't fit all. Um, I have a bit of an analogy that we went to a white goods shop to look for a washing machine, but we bought a fridge and I'm trying to wash my clothes currently in a fridge. What is working really well for the L&D team and partly well for the people and culture team with this system is not working well for me and my talent team. And so where I feel we could have achieved a better is actually not trying to get a one size fits all um, and that going back to my point around talent sitting a little bit outside of HR is where I feel that we have gone slightly wrong as an organization is we are very HR driven and talent I feel has has been sort of dragged along with the HR team and actually we should be sitting to, to the side and very much more that marketing and and really talking to our, our candidates as opposed to being very reactive. We need to be more proactive and I, our system doesn't enable us to do that. So I think systems are really key. I think systems very much nowadays are very, a lot cheaper and a lot quicker to implement. So I think a lot of conversations with organizations, they expect, you know, this six month to a year, you know, whole process. And I, I think it can be done a lot quicker with the, the products that are out there. Excellent. Great, uh, great final lesson learned as well there. So I appreciate you you sharing that with us. Okay, Pip, I just wanted to extend thanks from, from me again. You've been very generous with your time in getting prepped and, and taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, you're very welcome. And hopefully uh, some of it has been on of value um, and I haven't waffled on on too many tangents. No, very good. Cheers, Pip. Thanks. Thanks, Ben.